Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebajemra, and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before, and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer, we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're going to find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you want to know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. Let's uh, start lesson six in our Unshaken series. Strong in faith, no matter what, is the name of our series. This is Exodus 3, the story of Moses. We finished Genesis. We sort of hit, we're hitting some highlights, making our way through pretty much the Bible. This teaching I've called when I'm not sure about God's plans. And I really just want to, God is such a great storyteller. So much of the Bible is story. It is story of man who desperately needs God and a God who longs, I would say desperately longs to save us. And, and the entire story of the Bible is the story of redemption, of God sending his son. From Genesis, we see this pattern of God looking forward ahead of the coming of Jesus and then Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. And now we know what happened and we're waiting for his kingdom, for him to reign over kingdom eternally. And so we're stuck in this weird place right now where if we know the Lord, we know that he is uh, working out his kingdom now, but there is a kingdom to come. And so uh, even as we navigate some of the stuff that's happening in our world right now, it's important to remember that there's a part of us that wants to apply uh, Christ-likeness and, and ooze kingdom flavor, if I could give that uh, a word. And maybe ooze is not the best word, but but you understand what I'm saying. Overflow, maybe that's a better word. All that Christ is, we want to model what it is to be Christian, Christ-like, uh, those characteristics of what is of God in this broken world, but then also the hope that someday, hopefully soon, so many of us are praying that soon Jesus would come back again to reign eternally. And so a lot of you might be looking at this world right now going, man, what is happening? And But really, God, what are you? What, what is the end point here? Where are we going with this? And in the middle of it, every one of us is aware of our own sense of calling. You might be called to be a mom or a dad or a spouse or however it is that God has called you. And so you're trying to navigate sort of this well, God, what is your plan for my life and how do I play it out on purpose, with purpose, without wasting the days for your glory and your honor? And so we approach the study of Moses with that in mind because Moses was a young man like us. It's ironic as we get into this week to see the similarities of the world that he was living in. In fact, I want to read you a few verses from Acts before jumping back to, to Exodus. Uh, so in, in Acts chapter 7, probably one of my favorite 
account stories of the Bible. If you want to know, hey, tell me a little bit about the Bible, go and read the speech that Stephen gave right before his, his uh, being killed for the sake of Christ. He gave a message, he preached the message, and it's the story of God and the Bible. And in it, he kind of hits the highlights, how Abraham was chosen, how Moses came to be involved in all of this. And so in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, you can go there if you have your Bibles or just listen. So Stephen has already told a bit about Abraham. Now he says about Moses in verse 20, how Moses was born and how his mom, remember Moses was the baby. And when he was born, um, the Egyptians hated the people of Israel. They were, they were threatened by them. And so they killed all of the first, the males that were born. And so Moses was supposed to be killed. And instead, um, the midwives feared God and they saved the babies that were born. And, and the mom of Moses was a God-fearing woman. And she put him in a little basket, put him in the, in the river, in the Nile, and, and watched. Her, she and, and her daughter Miriam sort of watched to see what would happen. How would God intervene? Sure enough, God did intervene. And, and remember when we talked about a couple weeks ago about Joseph and how Joseph so so happened that he made it into the house of Potiphar after he was sold into slavery. Here again, we see God's immense providence, his detailed control of every part of our life. Of all the people that could have found Moses in the river, it is uh, the daughter of Pharaoh who finds him. Pharaoh who hates the male sons of, 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 of the, the, Israel, the Israeli people. And so he, she, she has compassion on him in some miraculous grace moment. She sees the baby, she falls in love with the baby, she picks up the baby, she adopts him as her own. And now the sister who's been watching comes out and says, hey, do you need a nanny? Do you need a, a person to wean him? And so sure enough, his own mom becomes sort of his nanny. And so God works out this crazy story. Now Moses grows up 40 years in the house of Pharaoh being taught by Pharaoh, imagine the best schools, the best education. He's like a son of Pharaoh, basically. And in it, uh, he also has that nanny, his mom, his birth mom, who's bringing him up to know who he is. And so he's sort of torn between two worlds. Uh, many of us Christians understand this, one foot in one world and one foot in the other. And so here's this young man who is struggling to understand all of these issues when he sees a point of great injustice. And so Acts chapter 7, verse 23, we're told when he was 40 years old, Stephen tells the story, when he was 40 years old, it came into Moses' heart to visit his brothers. So he was well aware that he was one of the people of Israel. And so he, uh, he says, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, again, put yourself in this, this is like so familiar, right? And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Listen, why I'm reading from Acts is this next verse. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Why is this verse interesting to me? Because Moses knew at age 40, so he was brought up with the knowledge that he was called by God to somehow avenge the people of Israel, to save the people of Israel. He wasn't a savior, but he was going to be, somehow he had a sense of calling that God had on his life that was bigger than he could ever understand, that didn't make any sense in light of the circumstances that he was in, but he saw enough and trusted God enough 
for the fact of the matter, he just got his timing wrong. And isn't that often how we do? We, we know God wants us to do something, but we rush ahead of God and we take matters into our own hand. And we saw Abraham fall into that trap. We saw Sarah fall. We see this pattern over and over again of, of us wanting to accomplish God's goals with our strategies. And so here's Moses. He thinks that they're going to know. So he takes justice into his own hands. And, and of course, they didn't understand. And so, um, and on the following day, it says in verse 26, so he kills the guy, you know, in defense. Uh, it was an act of defense, and, and many of us would be like justified, but still, on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a, and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, I go back to Exodus, where the heart of the story takes place. So in Exodus, Moses is like devastated. He thinks he's living God's call on his life. God told him something. He says yes. And I, I sent many of you uh, the book uh, Stripped not long ago. I won't offer a free book again. You can get it on Amazon. But, but the subtitle of the book Stripped that I wrote is When God's Call Turns from Yes to Why Me. And so Moses is playing that out to perfection. He knows God wants him to do something. He thinks he's executing it, but he's off by about 40 years. And so he runs away because they're going to kill him for what he did. He, he understands that word is out. In fact, in Exodus, we're told what Moses was thinking. And it says in Exodus chapter 2, when Pharaoh heard of it, the killing, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he stayed down by a well. All right? Remember, our title for this episode in the Unshaken series is When I'm Not Sure About God's Plans. It starts out in our life where we are sure, but what happens with time is that I've found that many of us become less sure because life happens and, and, and questions come up and confusion and, and things that we didn't expect to happen happen. And so Moses now has spent 40 years, not four, not 14, but 40, four zero years in the wilderness taking care of sheep. And I promised you, and we're gonna see in a minute, his sense of God's calling on his life has been destroyed, devastated. He doesn't, he no longer thinks he's the guy. He has been brought down to a place where he has no idea what God is up to, but he's tending flock and he's looking for God. And we're going to see how in a minute. Now, in the meantime, because remember, there's 10,000 things happening while we're focusing on the one. Hasn't that happened to you? You're focused on the one failure in your life. You're focused on your one mistake, on your past regret, on the one thing you wish you could control. Meanwhile, God is doing a million other things that you're not aware of. And so while Moses is in this cycle of trying to figure out now what, not a decade, not two decades, not three, four decades later, now in that time, here's what's happening back in Egypt. It says in chapter 2 of Exodus, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. It's interesting. It doesn't say who they cried out to. Maybe God, maybe not, but they were gods. But it doesn't tell us who. It says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Did they cry out to God, or did they just happen to moan and he heard them? All we know, whether they saw God as still faithful to them. We do know this, God was faithful to them, even in their groaning, even after it was 400 years since they came to Egypt uh, by the leadership of Joseph. And now 400 years had gone by. And in those 40 years, 
God, and those leading up to the point where we're going to get into the story, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Maybe that's the reason you tuned in today. Maybe you feel like the people of Israel, like you have been served in justice, like life has been hard and unfair, and, 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 and probably it has been. And it may not be a racial issue, it may be a family issue, it may be your own spouse. Maybe you have been married for 40 years and you're just devastated in how your life has turned out. Listen, you might think that no one is hearing you, but I promise you, God Almighty not just hears, He sees and He knows. And there's such encouragement. If I had to pick two of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, I would have to say those verses that I just read you about how God responds to the people of Israel move me to close to tears every time I read them. It is amazing that we serve a God who sees us, who knows us, who understands our pain, and who rescues us in due time. And if you're like, man, why hasn't he done it yet? 400 years, now leading up to the last 40, and there is a mystery. I don't know how God's timing is, when he decides to come, when the days are, but we do know that God is a God who is faithful to his promise. He promised Abraham that he would stay with him, that his children would be blessed, that through them the line of Christ would come eventually, and God indeed was a promise keeper, not just a promise maker. And so, who's he gonna use to execute this next phase of the promise? Well, he goes and gets a washed out man by the name of Moses who no longer has any confidence whatsoever. And so we're told in chapter three, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And you got to just think about Moses in that time. Was he longing to see God? Was he still 40 years into it, sort of trying to reconcile what happened? Was he just hoping that God would speak? How often have you and I not been there where we've just, we, we believe God, we want to serve him, but we just don't know his plans. And the more we try, the more confusing it gets. And so here he is, he's sort of dancing around the mountain of God, trying to figure out now what? with no hope of deliverance. It says in verse two, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. God sees oppression. God is a God of justice. God's timing in delivering the people is perfect. His people is perfect. And listen to me, and it's never easy to be delivered from the clutches of Egypt, but God has a plan for that too. See, how did Moses receive it? <laughs> well, verse 10, God says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people. So Moses was not wrong about his calling. He was just off in the timing. So Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
And God says, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Well, you know the story. Moses goes on and continues to argue. He says to God, if I come to the people and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God says, tell them I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. The greatest description of God, I am. And, uh, and it goes on, and then he, he says to them in, in, in chapter 4, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to me, for they'll say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff. He said, Throw it on the ground. So God shows him these miracles. He puts his hand in the coat, brings it out. It's leprous. He puts it back in. It's clear. Again, in verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. This is the man who 40 years earlier figured he knew God. He figured he knew God's way. He figured he could get the job done 40 years into it, and he is utterly broken. I'm going to give you some teaching points here as we kind of get our feet wet and, and, and kind of wrap up some thoughts. Here's point number one. Remember, when I'm not sure about God's plans, this is a man, Moses, who used to be sure about God's plans, but the disappointment in his life, the failure, the sense of failure in his life, the weight of thwarted plans, man, it's taken a toll on him. And so what do you do when you're in that place? You're looking around, you're going, I don't get it. The people need saving. I tried to help them. Instead, look at my punishment. I'm out in a wilderness. Nobody knows who I am. I'm nothing. And you can hear this negativity in Moses, this weight, this weight, this weight, the self-pity, the loneliness. He's out with sheep 40 years into this. He's got kids. They're not with him. Instead, he's seeking God, trying to make sense of the pieces of his life. And so here's point number one uh, about God's plans. God's plans are always bigger than my abilities to accomplish them on my own. I think this is worth noting. Moses was not wrong in his thinking. God had put a calling on his life to save the people of Israel, and it was a bigger call than a call that Moses could accomplish on his own. I've been thinking a bit about this idea of dreaming for God, dreaming big for God, and what is God calling us to do? And, and sort of a, this idea, not every big dream is from God. You might have a big dream of, I want to be a multi-billionaire. Why? Because I want to buy a plane. Why? Well, because I want to go to Tahiti. That might not be from God. So not every big dream is from God. But every dream that God gives is bigger than what I can accomplish on my own. All right, let me say that again. Not every big dream is from God, but every dream that God gives is bigger than what I can accomplish on my own. And so the idea that we get, just like Moses, when we feel like God has called us to something, maybe he's called you to be a missionary, maybe he's called you to, to, to oh, whatever it is, I'm not even going to fill in the blank. You know your calling. You might be like, well, that's cool, God, I'll do it. And then we try to execute it in our own way. But if it's from God, the very nature of it makes it where we cannot do it on our own. We've got to let God step in and do it. And that doesn't happen until we get to the place where we fail in doing it on our own. We look at our failure as the end point when God sees it as the beginning place. This is going to be point number two in a second. But think about this. Uh, often, that's how you can tell a plan is from God and not just from you. If your plan was something you could accomplish, then you don't need God for it. But so, so even as if you're a young person watching, maybe you're in your early, late teens, early 20s, or maybe in your 30s, and you're just sort of starting your career in life, and you're leaning into God and say, God, what, what is it you'd have me do? Don't be afraid to dream big for God. God has wired you with desires. 
He's wired you with abilities. You can do things that I could never do. Some of you are artists, some of you are worship leaders, some of you are, there's so many talents in this world. And so God might put something on you. Now, now the mistake we do is that we wanna help God out and we wanna to try to do it on our own. And, and, and by the way, sometimes we do that and even that breaking is part of the process. As you say, what's, uh, what's points, point number two? Let me just, since we're talking about that, let me give you the second point. God's plans always use my painful places to bring me to a place of utter dependence, all right? If you wanna know where God is working, look at the pain in your life. Where you're hurting is where God is working. There's no question in my mind that the places of pain in our life are places where God is trying to change us, where he's trying to grow us, where he's trying to make us more Christ-like, and where he's trying to bring us to a point of utter dependence on him. You say, how long does it take to get there? Well, it depends how strong you think you are. It took Moses 40 years in the wilderness for God to get him to the place where he finally said, I can't, I can't. And you know, when we're in that place, we still miss God. A lot of us think, you know, I think we grow up with this idea that if I, if God, in fact, I, I, this afternoon I was on a walk and I was praying that funny. I was like, God, I need a burning bush moment. I mean, we got God's word. It's our burning bush, but you know what I mean? Like, I need a burning bush moment. And I was sort of praying that. And I thought about Moses. I thought, you know, it's funny. We think if we get the burning bush, we'll be fine. Like, God, you just give me the burning bush and I'm good. Here's Moses who gets the burning bush and rather than being good and ready to go, like I, you see a burning bush talking to you, like what else could you, you know, want? Like you're full of confidence. No, instead he argues with God. A burning bush is never enough. You always want more. And so God gives him more signs, but it has, it, our problem isn't seeing a burning bush. Our problem is believing God's goodness. Our problem is believing God's character. Our problem is believing God's ability to use us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Some of the, I think there's three areas that we, when God asks us to do something, to step out in faith, whatever that area may be, I think, I think we come back with three sort of objections, your honor, right? And it's amazing that we objection your honor to God, but we do, we do it all the time. And, and we see in, in Moses three sort of areas of fighting with God over what God wants him to do. And the first is we come to God and we go, when God asks us to do the impossible, we go, uh, don't you know how weak I am? That's our first debate. God, do you not know? I can't do anything. So Moses for 40 years has been ruminating on his failure. He tried to save them. He, he probably, if you gave him a test and said, Moses, grade your leadership ability, he would have been like, I'm a negative. And, and God now wants to call him as a leader. Why? Because it's his broken place. It's a place where he'd be utterly dependent. But he comes to God and his first focus is me. I can't do it. And, and what's ironic is God doesn't come back to Moses and says, okay, Moses, you're right. You know, I know you've had a rough go, but, but you know, Moses, you're not that bad. You actually, you have a really good speech. You, you're really strong in, in your charisma. You can go and convince him. He doesn't play that game with him. God's response to Moses has nothing to do with Moses at all. God's response to, response to Moses is to take him by the chin and lift him, his head up so that he could look at God. So that the answer for Moses is not that he would get enough self-confidence, but that he would be more God-confident. And so I like, I wrote this sentence down. God doesn't ask us to stop second-guessing ourselves. I mean, if I look at myself, I would continue to second-guess myself. God's plea to us is not stop second-guessing yourself. God doesn't ask us to stop second-guessing ourselves, but to start fully trusting in him. Do you see the difference? 
It's a completely different perspective. Most of the worldly wisdom says, man, you can be strong enough. You can just wash your hair and step out of it and do what you need to do. And you know who you are. Look in the mirror and live your true self. And it's antithesis to God's ways, which is when you're utterly broken is when you finally step out of the way and say, God, I can't do a thing here. But if you're going for impossible, we're not going for good. We're going for something that we cannot even accomplish in our own way. And by the way, the impossible was not that Moses would lead the people of Israel. The impossible was that God was preparing the way for a savior. And it entailed moving a nation out of Egypt into the promised land. Think about it. So, so our vision sometimes is so narrow. We think our calling is just about me, myself, and I. And what God wants me to do in my 70, 80, 90 years on this earth. But God's vision is so much bigger so that every one of us plays a part in the big picture of God's big story. And we might not see that big picture until later on the other side of this life but you trust this God. So we come to God and we say, God, don't you know how weak I am? Here's another point of debate with God. We'll go, your honor. Here's another one. We say, God, don't you know about my past? This is Moses, classic. He says, the people will think, you know, do you not remember what I did? I killed a guy. Like I am a murderer in their eyes. We serve such an awesome God. Do you know that the hero I mean, we think about these heroes in the Bible. Of course, Jesus is a hero of the entire story. But in the Old Testament, Moses is arguably one of the top guys, and he's a murderer. And then, and then what do you think? The Apostle Paul, his background, his credentials, that he killed people. It's crazy that we serve a God who can see past that. Why? Because we're forgiven. Not because it's okay to kill people. Do you see it? But because a price has been paid. And as we walk in faith, we put our faith in a God who paid the price, the penalty for our sin, so that it cost somebody that, some, that we kill people. It cost somebody, but it didn't cost us. And Paul understood it and talks about it so much in his word. But so, so you come to God when God tells you to do the impossible and, and you don't know what he's doing and you're confused and, and you're like, God, I don't see how I can accomplish it. And we come to God and wonder, am I strong enough? Uh, do you know about my past? And another point of argument, don't you know what people will say? I'd say that's probably our biggest Achilles heel. We care so stinking much how we're perceived. Listen to me, we do. We live for likes even 10, 15 years since the advent of Facebook and Twitter and, and, and platforms are still glaringly important to everybody. You might have fought this battle and won. Maybe you no longer care. Maybe you're off social media. In fact, I have friends, a couple of friends who emailed me today and say, I've, I've discontinued Facebook, so I won't be watching tonight. I understand the struggle, all of the noise constantly, but we care about likes. We care about follows. We care about what people will think. And God's response to this is stop worrying about them. Start focusing on me. So God's plans are always bigger than my abilities to accomplish them on my own. So if you're wondering how, God, is this going to happen? Don't fret. If it's bigger than you can do, you're in a good place. Second point, God's plans are always use my painful places to help bring me to a point of utter dependence. A couple thoughts on the wilderness, because we're... Moses spent 40 years. The wilderness in your life is not a mistake. The, wil the wilderness in your life is not meant to disqualify you from God's plans. You might have killed someone or whatever version of that you're carrying. You go, God will never use me again. Listen, you let God worry about how he's going to use you. 
So the wilderness in your life does not disqualify you from God's plans. It often prepares you for God's plans in your life. My greatest places of ministry have been born out of my deepest points of pain. The wilderness in your life is not the end of your story. And then here's big point number three. God's plans don't get easier with time, but his presence gets nearer with time. He gets closer with time. I'm going to tell you what God told Moses in chapter three. He's, this is God's pep talk to Moses, and I'm going to show you what he says. It's crazy because we always think once God tells me what to do, it's downhill from there. And, and the biblical truth is it's the opposite. When God tells you what to do, it's the beginning of the journey. It's only going to get harder, harder in many ways, harder in the strength of the opposition, harder in the, in the internal struggle that you go through. Paul said the same thing. Outside, there's trouble. Inside, there's turmoil all the time. And so here's God's pep talk to Moses. Uh, he, he tells them who he is, and then he says uh, about what, the response that they're going to get when Moses and Aaron, eventually, they go back to Pharaoh. Uh, God says, and they will listen to your voice, uh, let me back up a little. Um, go and gather the elders. He says he's going to gather the elders in verse eight, 16 of chapter 3. And say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me saying, and then he moves on and says, they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Here's God warning Moses. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders and I will do it in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When you go, you shall not go empty. And so, and so what God's saying to him is, it's not going to be easy, Moses. You're going to go and you're going to get pressure and you're going to get struggle and it's going to be hard, but I'm still going to save you in the end. And if you know much about the people of Israel, I don't think you can go through and finish the entire Old Testament today, but if you go and read through the Old Testament, or even if you read through Exodus and the Pentateuch, the first five books in the Bible, you will know that, that, the, that what they faced in Egypt when Moses showed up was hard, but it only got harder in the 40 years that came after that. It was not easy to fulfill God's plans for his life. He Half his life, he didn't know what God was doing. 40 years of them he spent in the wilderness wandering. When God faithfully shows up in his perfect time and directs Moses to the next phase of his calling, God equips him. He equips him with people, with Aaron. He equips him with, with the, the rod, the picture of God's word. He equips, equips him with power, anointing. He equips him with every single way, with additional wisdom. We know so much about Moses and his life, but he also equips him with his secret weapon, which is the presence of God in his life. The harder the course got, the nearer God became to Moses. So what are some verses that are meaningful to that? There's a couple that I jotted down here. One is in Exodus 33, just to give you an idea of how Moses' life. Here's a man who barely believed God. He could, didn't recognize God in the burning bush at first. He had to be told that this was God. And, 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 and 40 years later, so, so Moses spends first 40 years in, in Egypt as the son of Pharaoh, then 40 years in the wilderness, and then he spends another 40 years uh, leading the people of Israel. And in that time, um, we're told in uh, chapter uh, 33, in verse 11, that when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing in the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each his, at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. In Deuteronomy 34, and look it up ahead, so I'll do it just now. 
and Deuteronomy 34. Uh, at the end of the life of Moses in verse 10, here's the summary that God gives. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. A man who spent 40 years in the wilderness after killing the Egyptian, wondering what in the world just went wrong. How did I end up in the backside of the wilderness? What in the world is God doing? My people are suffering. I tried to help them. They don't want my help. I'm now tending sheep. I'm not sure I, when God does show up, he has no idea how he's going to go back and fulfill God's call in his life. And God ends the summary of Moses' life as there has not been a man who knew, who knew faith, who, whom the Lord knew face to face. God's plans don't get easier with time but his presence gets nearer with time. Don't expect your life to get easier simply because you're pursuing God's plan for your life. You might spend the next 40 years in the wilderness, but if God is leading you through a pillar of clouds by day and a, or a, 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 a clouds by day and a pillar of fire by night, then you're in good company. You say, where is that cloud and that fire? Well, it's right here. It's called the Holy Word of God. It's the scriptures. He's leading us with his word. That is why we urge you. That is why we do this once a week and continue to urge you. Be in the word. Yesterday, of all the places that I could have been reminded of God's word, it came on Instagram through the father of a famous late night show person who read seven Psalms, Psalm 37. And I'm telling you, the word of God is so powerful. I woke up at four in the morning earlier than I usually do. And I'm telling you, God's word was playing because I watched that right before I went to bed. And then I woke up and I was saying those verses in my mind. There's something powerful about God's word. If you're in a place of fear, spend some time reading Psalms 37. The first eight verses are overwhelmingly powerful and will remind you of the need for us to not be afraid, not to fret, to sit still in the presence of God. That is the sweet nearness of God. It's his word so close to us, reminding us that his spirit is in us. So don't expect life to get easier simply because you said yes to God. Don't underestimate the power of communion with God over time. And don't assume you'll ever be able to get the job God has asked you to do without God. You cannot get it done without God. When you don't know God's plan, rest in his promises, and then breathe in his presence. I might not know God's plans, but what we're told in his word and what we're reminded of day by day is all about his heart. God's character is good. He is patient. He's long-suffering. And even when we are faithless, and even when we screw up, and even when we sin blatantly like Moses did, he is faithful still. That is a God worth knowing. That is a God worth giving your life to. So tonight, I want you just as we wrap up to think about those things that you feel God has called you to. You have felt a sense of calling and now maybe you're looking at your life and going, man, I didn't, I, I believed it, but I'm not sure how it's going to still play out. And in my remaining days, listen to me, don't count yourself out. If God is God and we know he is, the fact that you're here listening and thinking about these things, God could be using even this message to remind you of those things that he's called you to. If you're still alive, God's not done with you yet. 